Chapter Four of Half a Century by Jane Grace was Helm. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Go to boarding school, age twelve. During my childhood, there were no public schools in Pennsylvania. The state was pretty well supplied with colleges for boys, while girls were permitted to go to subscription schools. To these we were sent part of the time, and in one of them Joseph Caldwell, afterwards a prominent missionary to India, was a schoolmate. But we had Dr. Black's sermons full of grand morals, science, and history. In lieu of colleges for girls, there were boarding schools, and Edgeworth was esteemed one of the best in the state. It was at Braddock's Field, and Mrs. Oliver, an Englishwoman of high culture, was its founder and principal. To it my cousin Mary Alexander was sent, but returned homesick, and refused to go back unless I went with her. It was arranged that I should go for a few weeks, as I was greatly in need of country air, and highly delighted I was at the rendezvous at the hour one o'clock, with my box ready for this excursion into the world of polite literature. Mary was also there, and a new scholar, but Father Oliver did not come for us until four o'clock. He was a small, nervous gentleman, and lamps were already lighted in the smoky city when we started to drive twelve miles through spring mud on a cloudy, cheerless afternoon. We knew he had no confidence in his power to manage those horses, though we also knew he would do his best to save us from harm. But as darkness closed around us, I think we felt like babes in the woods, and shuddered with vague fear as much as with cold and damp. When we reached the bullock pens half a mile west of Wilkinsburg, there were many lights and much bustle in and around the old yellow tavern, where teamsters were attending to their weary horses. Here we turned off to the old mud road, and came to a place of which I had no previous knowledge, a place of outer darkness and chattering teeth. We met no more teams, saw no more lights, but seemed to be in an utterly uninhabited country. Then, after an hour of wearisome jolting and plunging, we discovered that the darkness had not been total, for the line of the horizon had been visible, but now it was swallowed up. We knew we were in a wood by the rush of the wind amid the dried white oak leaves, knew that the road grew rougher at every step, that our driver became more nervous as he applied the brake, and we went down, down. Still the descent grew steeper. We stopped, and Father Oliver felt for the bank with his whip to be sure we were on the road. Then we heard the sound of rushing, angry waters, mingled with the roar of the wind, and he seemed to hesitate about going on. But we could not very well stay there, and he once more put his horses in motion, while we held fast and prayed silently to the great deliverer. After stopping again and feeling for the bank lest we should go over the precipitous hillside, which he knew was there, he proceeded until, with a great plunge, we were in the angry waters which rose to the wagon-bed and roared and surged all around us. The horses tried to go on when something gave way and our guardian concluded further progress was impossible, and began to hello at the top of his voice. For a long time there was no response, 
then came an answering call from a long distance next a light appeared and that too was far away but came toward us when it reached the brink of the water and two men with it we felt safe the light-bearer held it up so that we saw him quite well and his peculiar appearance suited his surroundings he was more an overgrown boy than a man beardless with a long swarthy face black hair and keen black eyes he wore heavy boots outside his pantaloons a blouse and slouch hat spoke to his companion as one having authority and with a laugh said to our small gentleman is this where you are but gave no heed to the answer as he waded in and threw off the check-line saying i wonder you did not drown your horses he next examined the wagon paying no more attention to father oliver's explanations than to the water in which he seemed quite at home and when he had finished his inspection he said they must go to the house and handing the light to the driver he took us up one by one and carried us to the wet bank as easily as a child carries her doll he gave some directions to his companion took the light and said to us come on and we walked after him out into the limitless blackness nothing doubting we went what seemed a long way following this brigand-looking stranger without seeing any sign of life or hearing any sound save the roar of wind and water but on turning a fence-corner we came in sight of a large two-story house with a bright light streaming out through many windows and a wide open door there was a large stone barn on the other side of the road and to this our conductor turned saying to us go on to the house this we did and were met at the open door by a middle-aged woman shading with one hand the candle held in the other this threw a strong light on her face which instantly reminded me of an eagle she wore a double-bordered white cap over her black hair and looked suspiciously at us through her small keen black eyes but kindly bade us come in to a low wainscoted hall with broad stairway and many open doors through one of these and a second door we saw a great fire of logs and i should have liked to sit by it but she led us into a square wainscoted room on the opposite side in which blazed a coal-fire almost as large as the log-heap in the kitchen she gave us seats and a white-haired man who sat on the corner spoke to us and made me feel comfortable up to this time all the surroundings had had an air of enchanted castles brigands ghosts witches the alert woman with the eagle face in spite of her kindness made me feel myself an object of doubtful character but this old man set me quite at ease we were no more than well warmed when the wagon drove to the door and the boy man with the lantern appeared saying come on we followed him again and he lifted us into the wagon while the mistress of the house stood on the large flagstone doorstep shading her candle flame and giving us directions about our wraps coming events cast their shadows before when they are between us and the light but that night the light must have been between them and me for i bade good-night to our hostess without any premonition we should ever again meet or that i should sit alone as i do to-night over half a century later in that same old wainscoted room listening to the roar of those same angry waters and the rush of the wind wrestling with the groaning trees in the dense darkness of this low valley when we had been carefully bestowed in the wagon our deliverer took up his lantern saying to father oliver drive on 
he was obeyed and led the way over a bridge across another noisy stream and along a road where there was the sound of a waterfall very near then up a steep rocky way until he stopped saying i guess you can get along now to father oliver's thanks he only replied by a low contemptuous but good-humoured laugh as he turned to retrace his steps all comfort and strength and hope seemed to go with him we were abandoned to our fate babes in the woods again with only god for our reliance but after a while we could see the horizon and arrived at our destination several minutes before midnight to find the great mansion full of glancing lights and busy expectant life the large family had waited up for father oliver's return for he and his wagon were the connecting link between that establishment and the outside world he appeared to great advantage surrounded by a bevy of girls clamouring for letters and messages to me the scene was fairyland i had never before seen anything so grand as the great hall with its polished stairway we had supper in the housekeeper's room and i was taken up this stairway and then up and up a corkscrew cousin until we reached the attic which stretched over the whole house one great dormitory called the beehive here i was to sleep with helen semple a pittsburgh girl of about my own age a frail blonde who quite won my heart at our first meeting next day was sabbath and i was greatly surprised to see pupils walk on the lawn this was such a desecration of the day but i made no remark i was too solemnly impressed by the grandeur of being at braddock's field to have hinted that anything could be wrong but for my own share in the violation i was painfully penitent this was not new for there were a long series of years in which the principal business of six days of every week was repentance for the very poor use made of the seventh and from this dreary treadmill of sin and sorrow no faith ever could or did free me i never could see salvation in christ apart from salvation from sin and while the sin remained the salvation was doubtful and the sorrow certain on the afternoon of that first sabbath a number of young lady pupils came to the beehive for a visit and as i afterwards learned to inspect and name the two new girls when i was promptly and unanimously dubbed wax doll after a time one remarked that they must go and study their ancient history lesson i caught greedily at the words ancient history ah if i could only be permitted to study such a lesson no such progress or promotion seemed open to me but the thought interfered with my prayers and followed me into the realm of sleep so when that class was called next forenoon i was alert and what was my surprise to hear those privileged girls stumbling over the story of samson could it be possible that was ancient history how did it come to pass that every one did not know all about samson the man who laid his head on delilah's wicked lap to be shorn of his strength if there is anything in that account or any lesson to be learned from it with which i was not then familiar it is something i have never learned indeed i seem to have completed my theological education before i did my twelfth year one morning mrs oliver sent for me and told me she had learned my mother was not able to send me to school but if i would take charge of the lessons of the little girls she would furnish me board and tuition this most generous offer quite took my breath away 
and was most gladly accepted but it was easy work and i wondered my own studies were so light i was allowed to amuse myself drawing flowers which were quite a surprise and pronounced better than anything the drawing-master could do to recite poetry for the benefit of the larger girls and to play in the orchard with my pupils with the other girls i became interested in hairdressing i had read the children of the abbey and amanda's romantic adventures enchanted me but she was quite outside my life now i made a nearer acquaintance with her she changed her residence so had i she had brown ringlets i too should have them so one friday night my hair was put up in papers and next morning i let loose an amazing shower of curls the next thing to do was to go off alone and sit reading in a romantic spot of course i did not expect to meet lord mortimer miss fitzallen never had any such expectations i was simply going out to read and admire the beauties of nature when i had seated myself in proper attitude on the gnarled root of an old tree overhanging a lovely ravine i proceeded to the reading part of the play and must of course be too much absorbed to hear the approaching footsteps to which i listened with bated breath so i did not look up when they stopped at my side or until a pleasant voice said why you look quite romantic my dear then i saw miss oliver the head-teacher familiarly called sissy jane in that real and beautiful presence miss fitzallen retired to her old place and oh the mortification she left behind her i looked up a detected criminal into the face of her who had brought to me this humiliation and took her for a model my folly did not prevent our being sincere friends during all her earnest and beautiful life she passed on and i got back to the beehive when i disposed of my curls and never again played heroine End of chapter four